Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Here in the letter to the church of the Laodiceans, Jesus refers to the people there as being lukewarm. He states that he wishes that they were either cold or hot, but since they are neither and are lukewarm, that he would vomit them out of his mouth. That's quite an image that is provided for us today. And it should have had an impact on the members of that local church. How disappointing are you to the Lord if He is going to refer to you as something that He would want to vomit out of His mouth? And we understand the analogy given here. Have you you ever had a cup of coffee that started to cool off? You know, you're wanting to enjoy this nice hot cup of coffee and you take a sip and, and it's cooled off a bit. It's become lukewarm. And it's not what we want in a cup of coffee. I remember one time when I warmed up some soup. And I warmed it up in the microwave and I was enjoying it. But when I was preparing it, I forgot to make sure that it was warmed up all the way through. I don't know if you've ever done that before. And I didn't stop the microwave and stir it up while it was heating. And so here I am enjoying this Campbell's Chunky Soup Clam Chowder, which is my favorite. And I take a bite, and it's not really cold, but it's not hot either. It was lukewarm, and I didn't like that at all, because that's not how soup is supposed to be. That's not how clam, clam chowder is supposed to be served. So I didn't like that at all. Now, when we experience things like this, uh, we may not spit it out, but we can certainly relate to what Jesus is talking about here. After all, this is not how coffee or soup is supposed to be. The Laodiceans were not what they were supposed to be. They had become apathetic. They had lost their enthusiasm for serving the Lord. We might say that that they were just going through the motions. You know, that they likely still assembled with the saints to worship most of the time. Uh, They likely still realized that it was important to be counted among the Lord's people. Maybe they even still tried to do the, quote, right things in their lives most of the time. Understanding on on some level that it was important to be a, a good person. But they were missing an enthusiasm and a love for God and His Word that Jesus wanted them to have. And, and we need to realize that this was a big deal. If Jesus is going to say that it would be better if you were cold which would mean that your faith is pretty much dead, that really puts this in perspective as to how bad it is to be lukewarm. I mean, I, I don't want to be the kind of Christian that Jesus would want to vomit out of, out, of, out of his mouth. Do you? So this is important. We need to be able to see whether or not we are lukewarm. Whether we are lukewarm or not, we need to consider what can lead people into this apathy. And we must examine some things that can help us to rid ourselves of this apathy towards the Lord. So so let's begin with a list of symptoms. You know, the, the lukewarm Christian 
may have poor or irregular uh, attendance. So they may see the importance of being at services, but, but generally it doesn't take much to keep them from attending. Any and every excuse will be used to justify why they can't be at services, but, but yet they will tend to show up just enough that the other members and perhaps even the shepherds of the local church might not realize that there is a problem. Or maybe you will have someone who shows up regularly to a Sunday morning service so they can assemble and worship and partake of the Lord's Supper, but they will not participate in any other activity that the shepherds have provided for the brethren to be engaged in for the growth of their soul. They won't stay for the second service, which, by the way, is much shorter now. It's a scripture reading, a couple more songs, and love and good works. It's not much. It's, it's, not, it's not a huge uh, sacrifice. They won't come to Wednesday night Bible class. They won't come to the home Bible studies when we have them. They won't come to other gatherings that are just opportunities for us to fellowship with one another. And sometimes the lukewarm Christian will attend worship but not really be engaged in the service. So they're not engaged. Oh, they will sing and pray and be somewhat attentive during the sermon, but, but they're not fully tuned in. Maybe their mind is somewhere else. And they're just not really focused on what is happening and on what they're supposed to be doing. Unfortunately, there are times when this lack of interest they have is on full display. They're on their phone through the whole service. And it's not to use a Bible or a Bible study app. It's texting. It's checking email. It's checking social media. The lukewarm Christian will also neglect personal Bible study and prayer. They, they don't desire the pure milk of the Word as newborn babes, that they may grow, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. And as a result, they end up not growing spiritually the way that God expects them to. Another potential system of being lukewarm, uh, symptom of being lukewarm might be a personal uh, lack of evangelism. So they're not talking to people about the gospel as they go through their daily lives whether it be at work or at school or when they're out and about taking care of different responsibilities that life has they fail to share the gospel with others shying away from opportunities to do so or maybe they hide their spiritual light rather than letting it shine because well they don't want to deal with the trouble it may cause them or maybe they just don't think all that much about sharing the gospel at all so that gives us an idea of what it might look like if one were to be spiritually lukewarm. And so the challenge for us is to be honest with ourselves. Are we suffering from any of these symptoms? And there could be more. Those are just a few that I thought of. But are we suffering from any of these symptoms? You know, as we have mentioned before, it is so easy for us to put on blinders and see only what we want to see, but we need to be thinking about what God sees in us. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, another thing that we should consider is, is what can cause, what are some of the causes of this lukewarm attitude. And I would suppose that one of the most obvious causes would be what we find right in our text of Revelation chapter 3, and that is materialism. 
So let's look again at Revelation 3 and consider what else Jesus says to the Laodiceans. So if we look at Revelation 3 and this time read verses 16 through 18. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white uh, that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So the Laodiceans had become rich and wealthy and it had affected their attitude. They felt that they didn't need anything when in reality, Jesus tells them that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Sounds like they needed a lot. What an extremely sad state to be in. To think that you're okay when you are not okay at all. And their wealth, their prosperity had led them to this conclusion that they were just fine and had need of nothing. And as a result, it had caused them to forget what really mattered in this life. It caused them to forget how much God had done for them. And that without God as a priority in their lives, they didn't really have anything. I hope that we can appreciate the important lesson today for us. You know, we live in a country where we are so very blessed. Every single one of us are blessed with more than we need, no matter what level of income that we have. Even with all the turmoil going on. Have you ever taken the time to think about that, that every single one of us are blessed with more than we need, no matter what level of income? You hear all this talk today about, well, we've got to have equity, and we've got to have everyone, you know, we've got to do things for the little guy, and we've got to help them be the same as everyone else. We've got to take away from the rich and give to the poor. But when you think about how people lived back in Bible times, throughout history, when you think about the quality of life that they had, we have so much more than they ever had. And again, all we hear from government today is how unfair things are, and how bad it is for the poor of this country. And and please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that there aren't people who, who have struggles, and I'm not saying that there aren't people who have some real troubles. I'm not saying that at all. But, even amongst a large number of the poor in our country today, they too have access to things that the poor throughout history have never had, and the poor in other countries can't even dream of having. The poor in this country, by and large, have access to things that the poor in those other countries just could never even hope to dream of having. Places to live, cars, electronic devices, free schooling, access to health care, you name it. It's no wonder so many people from around the world want to immigrate to the United States. Every census we find that people want to immigrate to this country more than anywhere else. Brethren, when you really think about it, to a certain extent, we are all rich. And when you consider that, it makes the lessons that Jesus taught taught in his ministry about the dangers of riches and desiring to be rich all the more valuable to us today. 
And it reminds us that any one of us can potentially become distracted by the ugly face of materialism. Let's take a look back at the warning that God gave to his people through Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 11 through 18. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. You know, it's really something to think that this danger of forgetting the Lord due to one's prosperity has been around for so long. And so God, through Moses, issues this warning. God, as the creator of all things, knew exactly what people were capable of. And so he sought to help them to remember what was really important. I I hope that we remember today what is really important. If we don't, we'll find ourselves in a world of hurt spiritually. Another potential cause of apathy or or, or one becoming lukewarm in their service, which could be related to materialism, would, would be worldliness. As, as Christians are influenced by the world and begin to embrace worldly thinking, we're looking more along that line, this can have a devastating effect in their service to the Lord. And while it might not always lead to a complete falling away, we need to realize that it can very much cause one to develop a lukewarm attitude towards Christ that they may not even be able to recognize is present within themselves. Now, other brethren might be able to see it, but, but they won't. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life... Is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus within the Sermon on the Mount says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is extremely clear when one honestly comes to the scriptures for instruction that worldliness and being a disciple of Christ are not compatible in the least. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that if someone has become apathetic in their service to the Lord, that worldliness could be a factor possibly. If we are embracing the world 
and its way of thinking, its way of handling things, its way of solving problems, it's going to have an impact on our faith and dedication to Jesus Christ. And then there's the danger of evil company, which the Bible warns us about. This too can have an effect on our service. And and while it may not cause one to fall away completely, it has the potential of causing this lukewarm attitude towards the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, a well-known passage to many of us. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, what's always striking to me about this passage is how it starts out. I've always been impressed with that. That we can deceive ourselves into thinking that spending time with evil company, spending time with the people of the world, spending time with people who don't share the same values that we have in Jesus Christ, that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that doing those things will just have no effect on me whatsoever. Christians ought to know better than that. But it continues to be a problem for some today as they unequally yoke themselves to those who do not share the same love and dedication to the Lord that they do. And when this happens, it should not be a surprise when the individual begins to drift and become lukewarm in their service. And one last potential cause of apathy can be due to general discouragement. You know, perhaps the Christian has just become discouraged because maybe they see, they've seen hypocrisy within the church. Maybe they have become jaded because they see brethren doing wrong and, and, and perhaps they have been wrong themselves and, and hurt by these individuals. And perhaps they've seen brethren who had been previously seen as strong Christians end up doing things that are as unchristian as you can imagine. And they've seen the negative effect that this has had on the rest of the church. And without a strong faith, these things can cause tremendous discouragement to an individual and might potentially cause someone to lose their focus and become lukewarm. So, so we've spent some time this morning identifying some of the uh, symptoms of apathy and lukewarm service. And we've talked about some of the possible causes of this attitude. But for the rest of our time together this morning... I want us to consider what can be done to help someone get out of this lukewarm mentality. And I've titled this lesson, Moving Your Dial. And many, many of you have probably heard this expression used before in one way or another, this idea of moving your dial. You know, recently I heard someone talking about motivation and they, and they were providing some examples on how to keep oneself motivated to accomplish their goals and of course this past school year as many of you who are teachers in here can attest to there's been a whole bunch of uh, talk about how do we deal with virtual instruction and now with coming back to in-person instruction and all this talk about how can we motivate students because so many students found themselves to just be unmotivated Anyway, I don't remember exactly what was being discussed at the time, but what stood out to me was the phrase, well, if that doesn't move your dial, I don't know what will. And maybe you've said that before. Maybe you've heard someone say something like that before. And that was how I got the idea for this lesson. You know, if someone is suffering from spiritual apathy, if someone has fallen prey to the lukewarm mentality, something needs to be done to help move their dial. And there are some things that we can remind ourselves of today that can help all of us 
not just the lukewarm, to move our dial and as a result improve our service to the Lord. So what should move the dial of the Christian? Well, one thing we can do is we can consider God's creation. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This declaration is not simply a nice way or or convenient way to start the story of the Bible, but rather the first verse of the Bible sets the tone for everything that is to follow. God has created everything, and it is He who holds all power and authority. And this has been said before, but it is worth mentioning again. Without a proper understanding and respect for what God has done in creation, without an understanding that God has created all things, without trust and faith that God has the ability to do the things that He has said He has done, there won't be a true respect for His power, for His strength, and for the glory and praise that He deserves. When one fails to recognize and respect God as the Creator, everything else begins to fall apart in regards to one's faith. No longer will someone trust that God can do anything He says He can do. The one who who doubts in the creation of God or in elements of the creation account will likely begin to develop doubts in regards to other teachings throughout the Scriptures. And they may also begin to develop doubts about many of God's commandments. After all, if, if God didn't really mean what He says in the creation account, or if the creation account isn't really accurate, well, why not assume that He doesn't really mean what He says in other places in Scripture? If the account of God's creation in the Scriptures isn't really accurate, then why trust that God's instructions and commands are accurate in other places in the Bible. Do you see how this lack of of trust and belief in the fact that God created all things can cause some serious damage to one's faith? This is serious business, folks. And more and more in our world today, those who would dare to believe in the fact that God created all things and that He did it the way He said He did it, are facing an onslaught of attacks from those who have embraced so-called science and the theory of evolution. And as our society continues to embrace the concept of humanism, as they begin to make humanistic beliefs their religion, you can expect that there will be more attacks in the future. So the Christian needs to be reminded of the facts surrounding God's creation. And one who has become lackluster in their service to the Lord can give themselves a sort of a a jump start that can help them to reinvigorate their faith and therefore reinvigorate their service to the Lord. In the 33rd Psalm, verse 6, it reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord 
stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Now notice what is said here in this psalm. There is the reminder of what God has done in his creation. And then starting in verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. An understanding of what the Lord has done, what he has accomplished with his creation, should cause people to fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. Because he spoke and it was done. Because he commanded and it stood fast. God has all power. And as a result, he holds all authority. And I decided to include verses 10 and 11 here to further illustrate the point that by having an understanding and respect for God's creation, this can help serve as a reminder for us that he is always in control. I mean... Isn't this what the, what the psalmist was trying to remind people of? Isn't this what God wanted his people to know when preserving this psalm for our benefit? After we are reminded of God's power through his creation, after we are reminded of the fact that because God has created all things, that the people, all of the people of the world, should fear him and stand in awe of him, we can then read the following in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Brethren, the power behind God's creation, the power that allowed God to do so many awesome things in the creation of everything is the same power that allows God to bring the counsel of the nations to nothing and the plans of the people to no effect. The psalmist here is reminding us of this and ultimately it is God that wants us to remember this fact about his power. We don't need to get distracted by all the craziness that's going on in the world today. When we understand and respect God's power through His creation, we know that He can take care of anything and that He can do anything. Let's consider a couple more passages. Psalm 19, the 19th Psalm, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Another familiar passage to us, Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, not too long ago, we were reminded of God's creation and how it was supposed to remind people of his power and authority in our Wednesday night Bible class going through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45. I'm going to read uh, verses 9 through 12. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, What are you begetting? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? Verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens, 
and all their host I have commanded. Skipping down to verse 18 of Isaiah 45. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Brethren, it it may be that you have been apathetic in your service recently. That, That maybe you've become lukewarm. And if that is the case, I would strongly encourage you to reflect on the facts surrounding God's creation. Maybe dig deep into a study of the evidence for creation and meditate upon those things. You could go back and listen to the lessons from years ago that that our own brother Rod had done on evolution and creation. Remind yourself of God's great power that has been demonstrated through His creation of all things. A serious reflection on God and His creation can certainly help to move someone's dial in regards to their discipleship. A second thing, another thing that should serve to move your dial is to take some time to consider all that Jesus has done for you. I wonder if sometimes being in the flesh, being carnal, we just don't take the time to truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Now, now, now we will come to worship, we will sing praises, we will pray, and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. And in participating in these acts of worship, we'll be reminded of and think about Jesus and what He has done. And that is certainly a good thing. But but how often do we really take the time to meditate on what Jesus has done for us? How often do you take the time to truly reflect on the love that Jesus has shown towards you? You know, we're all aware of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus had come to him by night. John chapter 3 verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So so we are aware of this. It's a very familiar passage. Uh, And I would say that, that most of the world is also aware of what Jesus says in John 3.16. After all, that's one of the most quoted passages in Scripture. But again, one can know about this. Uh, One can know this about Jesus and not truly appreciate what it means. So it is important for us to spend some considerable time reflecting on Jesus' love for us and what He did for us as a result of that love. And by taking the time to consider these truths about Jesus, we can find ourselves more highly motivated to serve Him with zeal. Now now this could be a whole lesson in and of itself, uh, obviously, but but let's consider a couple of other things. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. So here in writing to the church at Philippi, Paul is reminding Christians about the importance of of humility and being like-minded and not being selfish. And then tells the brethren there to have the same mind that was in Jesus. Verse 6 again, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. In other words, Jesus, who was a part of the Godhead, did not look upon that position that he had, did not look at the reality of being equal with God as something that he should hold on to at all costs. Have you ever considered that? That here was Jesus being in the form of God, a part of the Godhead, and God the Father has this plan. This plan to redeem mankind because man is lost in his sin. And so he sends Jesus down to live among men, to be in the flesh, as the created, with the created. To experience the challenges that come with being in the flesh. To deal with discomfort, fatigue, sickness, physical pain, temptation, all of it. And then to be treated so poorly... By many of those that he had been sent to save. To be persecuted, attacked, ridiculed, and ultimately crucified. And Jesus, as we are told in Philippians 2, did this gladly as it was the will of the Father. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus did all of that for you. Jesus did all of that for me. And you realize that we can never be good enough to deserve that? Never. So what do we do? We live righteously. And we live thankfully. And we live with gratitude. And we do our best to serve him because we recognize how awesome a gift this was. And we do what naturally someone should do when someone gives you this kind of a gift. We dedicate ourselves to them. Why would we not want to do that when you consider what Jesus did for you? Do we appreciate this like we should? Well, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. Because, I mean, I'm busy. i got things going on. i got my own problems. Think about what Jesus did for you. Do we recall what this was like for Jesus? What it was like for him to go through this horrible death? You know, not too long ago, we were studying John chapter 12 in our Sunday morning class. And... And we found Jesus engaged in teaching in Jerusalem during the last week of his life. And in John 12, verse 27, we read Jesus saying this about his upcoming sacrifice. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus knew what was coming. And it was troubling to him. And we can certainly understand that as as it would be troubling to any of us if we knew 
that we were about to go through all of the stuff that Jesus was going to experience at the hands of sinful men. But Jesus endured it all, knowing that it would save you. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives, and as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him, Verse 40, when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here we see an example of the humanity of of Jesus agonizing with the knowledge of what was about to take place. He is in agony. His sweat is like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Have you ever been in that kind of agony? Where your sweat is just dripping from you? And he is praying for the cup to be taken away from him. Such emotional pain and distress that was felt by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of it, including his submission to his Father's will, was for you. This ought to move our dial, brethren. Knowing these things ought to inspire us. To improve our service to Him in every way. Another thing that can and should move our dial if we are becoming apathetic in our service is to reflect on the upcoming judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27 reads, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The judgment of God is coming. And it is coming whether people like it or not. And nothing that man says or desires is going to change the fact that God will judge him in the final day. And, And this knowledge, this understanding of God's judgment will come to pass knowing that it's going to happen should motivate those of us who have committed our lives to him to be more dedicated servants and it should also cause those who have not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ to seriously consider their position before God consider what is said in the apostle Paul's opening remarks to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints 
and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So we can see in this passage the Apostle Paul alluding to the day of judgment. And there are a couple things that we can see in, in, in this passage. And number one, those that know God, those that have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, have absolutely nothing to be worried about concerning the coming judgment. But those who do not know God and who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ will face an everlasting punishment. Please, if you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you have not made that decision that I am going to walk with Jesus for the rest of my life, please consider what exactly it is that's holding you back from making that decision to be obedient to Him and serve Him. Or maybe you're visiting with us and and you don't even know what the gospel is. Well, we can help you with that. And we would be happy to help you with that. And and would be more than happy to study the Bible with you. I, I can certainly tell you that if I was sitting in the auditorium today and was exposed to this passage about God's judgment and the importance associated with the obeying the gospel of Christ. And if I didn't know about that, I'd want to know more about that. I would certainly want to know what that gospel is and what it means to be obedient to it. Folks, the, the judgment is coming. And we need to think soberly about that. And having an understanding of this fact should move our dial to be better servants if we are already in Jesus. And to become servants of Christ if we have not yet obeyed his gospel. A fourth thing that we can do is to consider the great sacrifices of God's people in the past. There are so many great examples that we can read about throughout God's word. Great heroes of faith who, who made great sacrifices in their lives out of their devotion to God and Jesus Christ. Of course, when thinking about this, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, as I'm sure many of you are as well. We can read of so many heroes of faith in that chapter who did great things and sacrificed so much because of their belief in what God had promised. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Knowing about these faithful brethren, these faithful servants of the Lord, was supposed to move the dial of the Hebrews. And you know something? It should move our dial too. And finally this morning, we can be motivated to improve in our service to the Lord by remembering that He has prepared a dwelling place for us when this life is over. John chapter 14, which we've been talking about in our Sunday morning Bible class. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, this world is lost and it is broken. Things are being promoted that are completely contrary to the truth of God and His Word. People are lost like sheep without a shepherd and are wandering aimlessly all the while thinking that they have a good handle on their lives and what is right. And it can be so discouraging for the faithful Christian to see where things seem to be heading. To see the complete disregard of God and His teaching. This can get us down. It can discourage us. And in our discouragement, we can sometimes become slack in our service to the Lord, just like we talked about earlier. But here in John 14, verses 1 through 3, we are reminded that Jesus has gone to prepare for us a place. A place where we will be able to be in the presence of God for all eternity. There will be no suffering. There will be no worry or anxiety. There will be no pain. There will be no tears or sadness. There will be no evil or persecution. It will be just God and His people living in peace and rest for all eternity. I don't know about you, but when I think about this, it moves my dial. It makes me want to do better. It makes me want to be the disciple that God says I'm capable of being. I hope this has been helpful for you this morning. Because brethren, being lukewarm in our faith is not what Jesus wants. We don't want to be the type of Christian that the Lord would vomit out of his mouth. And we have talked this morning about several things that can potentially help to move our dial. Things that can motivate us to get out of that lukewarm mindset and be better servants to the Lord. We can consider God's creation and the great power that he has. The control that he has over all things. We can consider the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, for our sins. We can consider God's coming judgment and how no one will avoid it. We can consider God's people of the past and what they did because of their great faith. The great examples that we can read about. And, some, and really some of the examples that we've known who used to be here for years and years. Christians that we know that we've come across in our lives who have now gone on to their heavenly reward, that can motivate us as well. And we can consider the heavenly home that God has prepared for those that love Him. Folks, if these things don't move your dial, then I don't know what will. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.